All right, because three is a crowd. I'm here today once again from the barn and the podcast closet in South Dakota and Oregon. My name is Daniel. I'm here today with there, Kelly in Portland. How's it going, uh, Kelly? Oh, I'm, I'm good. Multi-state. Are we a multi-state podcast? Are we an interstate? Is that, is that what that means? It is. Yes. Interstate, yeah. <laughs> this is an interstate podcast. We are regulated oh, by the federal government. So just know that we are <laughs> FDA approved. Kelly. <laughs> This is not a podcast. Not CDC approved. (laughs) Or not CDC, that's diseases. Damn it, that's not what I mean. Not Wait, FDA is food and drug. What's the one we're thinking I guess the FCC gave us clearance for this podcast. Yes, Yes, FCC FCC approved. Yes. Very important. You can consume us and it will be okay. But it was more important that agriculturally we got approved by the... Uh, This is not a podcast about your um, dietary needs. Mm -hmm. This is a podcast about Bob Dylan. We... Or listen to a song by Bob Dylan every week, and we get together at the end of the week and we talk about it. In this case, we took three weeks to talk about this one because uh, it's a long one. I've been listening to Bob Dylan for most of my life. Kelly has heard roughly the same number of songs as the indie rock genre tag number in the ID3V1 MP3 metadata container. And this week, we listened to 1997's High. Is that like a specific platform? That's stupid. Well, my heart's in the highlands Gentle and fair Honeysuckle blooming In the wildwood air Bluebells blazing Where the Aberdeen waters flow When my heart's in the highland I'm gonna go there when I feel good enough to go Speaking of Bob Dylan, Kelly, we spent the entire week listening to 1997's Highlands off of Time Out of Mind. Before we even get to our impressions, I'm just gonna dispense with the context because there's almost none. This song was recorded in January of 1997. Released on Time Out of Mind, Bob Dylan is playing vocals and guitar, as you would expect. Daniel Lanois is the producer of that record. He is also on guitar. Augie Myers is on organ. Organ. Like, this, <laughs> like you know, the place uh, is on organ. Jim Dickinson is on keyboards. Uh, Tony Garnier, of course, is on bass. And Tony Mandarin is on percussion and drums. He has played this song nine times total. Uh, all in wow. the early I have ninety between ninety seven and uh, two thousand one. Kelly, we this is a long song. This is before Murder Most Foul, his longest song by far. What uh, genre tag is this song tagged with from the nineteen ninety six ID whatever W thing you said? Oh, I would love to know that. I mean, what what do you think it would be? I mean, it'd probably be like blues? folk, blues rock, blues folk rock, rock yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Maybe folk, contemporary well, folk. Who knows? Damn, we'll never know. Wasn't there a song earlier? I mean, it must not have been as long because you said clearly that this was the longest one before Murder Most Foul. But isn't there an earlier song that took up an entire side of a, a record? Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands is 12, I think 12 minutes long, 11 minutes long. It, I think it's that at the end because okay. that was a then double album that. and that was the end that, of the, the record. That's the only one I yeah. could think of being that long. Yeah. Uh, this song is fine. I thought that I would end up hating it because it's so long. I mean, it's very repetitive. But just like Murder Most Foul where it's... Uh, pretty similar throughout they 
there's enough variance in the guitar and that's the whole point it's like look we're in this key we're doing this thing just kind of do whatever you want but there's not a whole lot of variance and yeah. why we listen to a live version which we'll talk about later because that's completely different but um yeah I, I didn't find it as annoying as i was worried that i would because it makes you listen to the words just like Murmo's foul it's like it's the same gentle chords throughout the whole thing so you got to pay attention to what he's saying what is what he's saying worth paying attention to? You'll find out here on Sign of the Wind. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so verdict is, I, I it's, yeah. Fine. it's fine. Yeah, I, as a kid, I definitely did not understand this song. You know, listening to this when I was 15 years old, I bought Time Out of Mind at a thrift store, you know, when I was first getting into Bob. And this was like, you know, one of the newest ones before then, because um, this would be 2003, 2004. And uh, yeah, this song is long. And that was a huge, huge, huge turnoff for me and I'm sure for a lot of, yeah. uh, of kids. And when you start listening to it, um, I, we're going to talk about the making of it. Cause apparently there is a looped drum in there too. And that was the first instance of Bob using that. Yeah. So there is a lot of that too. That does feel yeah. kind of like, I don't know, listening to it now. I'm like, Oh, that feels pretty modern. That feels like a little bit different. It, it, you can kind of feel that. But at the time it was like, this is boring. This is the same riff over and over. And that's the point. I mean, that really is what's going on. But it also like I it didn't really it resonates with me now because um of the sentiment, you know, like I mean the idea of the because highlands being a place old. over here. Because we're older. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't think we're old. I think that we're older. Yeah. And for me, the song always smacked with like you needed to be an adult, not to be smart, but you needed to live a little bit. And while I was thinking about this, because we listened to this over three weeks. I was, I thought about Touche Amore. They have a line in Home Away From Here. And the line is, I just have this problem where I want to be everywhere I'm not. And then I thought about the Mensigers and I thought about every punk band of this like current milieu. I mean, the Mensigers entire oeuvre is this song, you know, my heart is somewhere else, but I'm here. And this song does exactly that. So for me, thinking about that a little bit more, I was like, Touche Amore and all of that feels like longing for the the recent past like longing for 2014 for us is a great year uh or just a couple of years ago or this job or that place or this little spot but this song feels like something i won't be able to grasp until i'm 70 and i take every one of those tiny longings throw it in a blender and try to like make sense of the whole thing as it's spread across my whole life because it feels like this is a lot of emotions and feelings all in one little spot whereas somebody singing about Oh, I just missed that tour cycle. I can latch onto that and say, yeah, I missed that tour cycle because I saw that band or I missed that year because it was three years ago. But imagine talking about I miss when I was, you know, 40 years ago. I don't know what that means, you know? And for us, we don't know what that means. I mean, we can only really miss things from the last, you know, 20 years. I mean, maybe you long for childhood, but the last, last time I would long to be anything would be 20, you know, 18 at least. We want to talk about the versions of the song and the song itself, but I want to like make it clear too that this is one of Bob Dylan's most written about songs by authors. So just like I'm not there a couple of weeks ago, this is not a definitive history of the song. We are not going to go into every single pet theory uh, or or interpretation. We are going to listen to the song and talk about it in 2021 as a Bob Dylan fan and as somebody who knows nothing about Bob Dylan, and we're going to do the best that we can. I just feel the need to say that because... I was pretty daunted with the amount of reading that I that I did this week and there was so much so much written about Highlands that it's it's like hmm. if you're really interested that is a journey for you my friend listening. Uh Kelly, we did listen to two versions of the song. Uh again, there's only nine live versions. So along with Time Out of Mind, we also listened to 
uh, a version from 1999 at Madison Square Garden in July. Um, of those two, did you have a preference or or how were you feeling with those two versions? I mean, I'm not mad at shaving almost seven minutes off of this song. That doesn't suck. Uh, I mean, clearly the tempo yeah. is faster. The key's actually different. Almost everything about the song is different. Uh, but in not Bob Dylan fashion, except for the lyrics. The lyrics are a little bit different in some of the verses, but wholly unchanged, um, which is like very strange for him. And then, yeah, the music is just like, yeah, just a lot it's faster. faster. A lot, lot punchier. And even the, the cadence, obviously, the way that he's delivering it, because the tempo is faster, um, he speaks it faster, and he's got more gruffness to his voice a little bit because you don't have that, that kind of studio polish. Right. But um, so, so do you... We don't know if there's another studio take. Uh, has the bootleg whatever time out of mind come out? Yeah. So, I mean, Telltale Signs was part of that whole thing. So that was pretty much 1989 to 2006. So that encompassed a lot of okay. uh, time out of mind takes. Are there, are there others? I'm glad you asked, Kelly. According to Jim Dickinson, yes, there are. He says, quote, I remember when we finished Highlands, there are two other versions of that song. The one that made the record is the rundown. Literally, you can hear the beat turn over, which I think Dylan liked. Anyways, uh, to continue on with his thing, he said, anyways, after we finished it, one of the managers came out and said, well, Bob, have you got a short version of that song? And Bob looked at him and said, that was the short version. <laughs> nice. So I, th- that part's funny. That part's lore. But like, I, I found it interesting, the rundown version and the looped drum beat. I find it hilarious that like they probably played a faster version. And then he was like, no, nah, I'll take that. I'll take that original version, you know, that we were just warming up with to me to get me the lyrics and, you know, just kind of vamp on. And I'm glad he did. Yeah. The only reason why I even am kind of convinced there's another version is because of the way the studio version starts and stops. It kind of just mm. comes in out of nowhere and then leaves like sloppily at the end. It reminds me a lot of some um, basement tape uh, versions of stuff where it's like, oh, I yeah. guess we like no one knows in <laughs> different times. Everyone's realizing, oh, the song has ended. So it's like the drums cut out or the whatever. cuts out. <laughs> it's like, oh, OK, because we're done. Um, the. I like in the live version that when they, the Neil Young verse happens and the crowd's like, yes! I know, yeah. I love Neil Young. <laughs> I'm a listener to Neil Young. Gotta turn up the sound. Someone always yelling. Turn it down. Feel like I'm drifting from sea to sea. I love the uh, the like the band like the guitar too. Oh shit! I should look up who's playing uh, here. But um, yeah, the fucking like guitar goes crazy at like only two instances, and it's like the one where it's like the you drew me, you know, that's not what I look like or whatever. Even mm-hmm. after he draws the napkin and fucking like wow, vamps up or whatever. Crowd yeah. goes nuts. Like I think like almost all of the last like three or four verses they do that where they're like, oh, we're about to do a breakdown. Just kidding. Back in the, I'm like, I'm pretty sure there's like some kind of sketch comedy skit about this where a band is doing that. We're like, yeah, it's about to be the, oh, we're back in the, okay. All right. Guess we're just doing, yeah. They never actually get to do the breakdown for it. Yeah. The only funny thing but... I could think about on the live version is that, and we'll get to it, of course, because it is bizarre to have an, and most of this song take place in a Boston diner, but he does uh, nix the entire uh, do you read women's, lit- you know, authors? Yeah, he just cuts yeah. that whole thing out and just runs out, which we'll get it to. And we'll, I think I'll ask you again if, if we think that was, you know, good or bad or whatever. We'll figure it out. But that's the only thing I could really tell, except for making it more conversational. The whole, which I liked. I liked him being more 
off the cuff live conversational in the live version because he he just got to like you know he he knows how it's going to go so we could just kind of vamp a little bit more but otherwise yeah i'm impressed it was exactly the same all the lyrics were perf- pitch perfect it was great i really liked that version a lot i mean i would say more controversially mm. than leaving out the erica jong stuff is the change from hard boiled eggs to soft boiled eggs I mean, Ooh, I didn't even catch what does it. it mean? What does it all mean? <laughs> <laughs> I love online. People are fighting about it. And uh, one of the comments was like, sometimes the soft boiled eggs is just a soft boiled egg. And it's like, you know what? That's that is the that's our podcast right here. That's unless it's a hard boiled egg. Come on. We're not getting to the deep questions. God. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The only other thing I can think with uh, with time out of mind with the versions is uh, Bob Dylan at one point said that this was he was just listening to Charlie Patton on repeat and that this is a Charlie Patton riff. And, you know, everybody's gone back in time. Clinton Halen being one of them who has, has pretty definitively said there is no Charlie Patton riff that has this Highlands riff on it, but uh, he he patents that it could be uh, a song called Drywell Blues. But I do like that time out of mind. I feel like it feels very timeless, and um, and the organ on that is just so good. I love, love, love everything about that. So I like the live version, but I really, really like the the studio version as too as well. It makes sense that I'm glad you told me that the drum is uh, is a drum track because, yeah, it's the it's the simplest part of all of all the instruments. There's no variance, and that makes sense because it's looped. But it's like, could you imagine if you're a drummer and you're like you have to play 16 minutes of the same just soft snare brush and rim hit just like you you would have to turn into a metronome you would just have to completely zone out and just like i'm just going to do this for 16 minutes or until you have a mental breakdown like i I just don't know it would be tough so it makes sense that it was a at least when there's live there's energy and you can kind of yeah riff off of stuff if you want to make some changes but yeah they were they were merciful in choosing to do a drum loop i feel like it I think that comment was, and I feel the exact same way. And I think those comments are coming from two people who have never played drums and cannot play drums because I'm sure for them, they would say, they would say, I don't even, well, they would probably say, (laughs) I don't think about it like that. Number two, I'm on a record. So there's probably more pressure to get things right and to be more in the zone. And three, I'm always a fucking metronome. So I don't know what you're talking about. So, but I'm, I'm with you. It's like, that's why I make fun of bands that get really hard and the drummers pop. I mean, they're doing nothing. Like, I'm just like, you're, you want to be hard, but like, have you ever seen a band actually go hard? Because you're about as soft as cotton candy right now. What are you doing with this pop, pop <laughs> shit? So, so I don't know if this is a Charlie Patton riff, and it sounds like you've determined that it's probably not, but what it is is Outlaw Blues. It is literally the same song as Outlaw Blues musically. Obviously, the tempo is much okay. slower, but the chords yes. and the order in which they occur are exactly the same. So when I was listening to this and just like keying into the music, because my process uh, for this podcast <laughs> is I kind of just put on the playlist as soon as, as it's created or whatever. Uh, and I don't really key into the lyrics as we discussed many times. I don't pay attention unless something stands out like hard boiled eggs. You're not expecting it. Copper kettle, whatever he was talking about, corn mash or sure, whatever the sure. fuck. Yeah. It's just nope, like nope. minding your own business, corn mash. Okay. So hard boiled eggs, same thing. Um, 
but all I could think about as soon as I was, I was like, it ain't hard to stumble. I was like, what song is that? That's definitely a Bob Dylan song. Isn't that like a, isn't it Jesse James or some shit? And then I looked on Dylan nice. chords and I was like, oh my God, it's the same fucking song. So not Charlie Patton. Bob Dylan is plagiarizing himself. And I think we should talk more about that. Well, I also went to Dylan chords and I saw on there that there's a note on there that says, why aren't you transcribing the song? Mm-hmm. And he was like, it's a dual guitar song. And it kind of like, I haven't found a good way to play it singularly. I don't know if you had any thoughts on that or. Yeah. So that's like what he's talking about there is that there's no clear thread. I mean, he's laid out the chords there because that's what's going on. They're playing little like right. solos and little riffs off of these chords, which is just like E7, A major, B7. And uh, that's it. <laughs> so just that, just like outlaw blues, but it's, you to tab it out what he's saying in that note he's like people are like i want the tabs it's like you want me to sit here with a 16 minute song with two guitar tracks and tab out every little variance of the little fills they're doing no dude that doesn't make any sense plus i would say and i bet the uh, dylan courts guy would agree that that's completely antithetical to the the spirit of the song which is you're staying it's just classic improvisation this is jazz music this is pick a key and we're just going to do whatever we do uh you know within kind of this right. uh, a narrow window but still like you, it's yeah it would be asinine well before bob dylan's about to start singing again you got to vamp that you got to get that little chord in and move on like you're about to go back to the thing i agree like why would you tap out every little thing that seems crazy to yeah me. here okay i'm gonna try we can cut this if it's terrible I'm going to try to just kind of demonstrate that this is Outlaw Blues. What is this song called? Highlands. God, I cannot remember that for the life of me. A. And then this fucking B7 chord, which I hate a lot. Oh, A. So that's Highlands, mostly. And then, uh, with the exception of the little lead-in for Outlaw Blues, which is just like... And then we, what do we do? We go to E! Song, Daniel. Yeah. Well, one this is faster than the other. This is where you obligatorily say there's only 12 notes in Western. There's music, only 12 right? notes in the there's Western canon of music, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> We're bound to overlap. But you know what? You know what? Two things don't sound at all like one another Outlaw Blues and Highlands, except they are. And I love that, man. I love that. Yeah. The, the base of all of this is the same, but yet you wouldn't really know unless you really know. And now everybody knows. To play Highlands and or Outlaw Blues, just fucking play an E major and have fun. The end. <laughs> uh, all right, Kelly. Well, the song, the the song itself. So I just want to get into the song. Instead of going lyric by lyric, which, you know, last time we did that was um, 
Lily Rosemary and the Jack of Hearts, and that was a two-hour episode. So I don't want to go lyric by lyric, and I don't know if this song, again, super, super ass deserves it, but I do want to talk about it in a couple of different frame of views. Um, but before I get there, I want to know if you see a narrative in this song. Do you see something happening point A to point B, or what do we got here? Is it a classic park bench song? He's literally in a park, Kelly. But we're so. only in a park for a minute, so I don't know how relevant that is. So I kind of have two theories that might be one theory but just like shades of each other uh i will try to be less convoluted so <laughs> the most of it is just waxing poetic about a pastoral life that you're either i can't tell if it's one that he's already lived like as a child he lived in the highlands and he wants to go back to that or if it's just this idea of this you know beautiful place where there's not all this strife and you don't have to have a job and you can just live peacefully amongst the whatever wildlife and bullshit right i mean it sounds beautiful and it's not a unique or novel idea right we i think as modernity struck human civilization whatever time you're looking at everyone longed for the days before it right so it's it's just another spin on that narratively i do wonder because in the second or third verse he says uh i woke up from a dream i kind of wonder if maybe the rest of the song is in a dream and as we go on some of the stuff if taken literally, it seems really bonkers. It's like, why are you talking about eggs? Are you actually running away from a dog? All this stuff. It seems very dreamlike, really scatterbrained and kind of just like something like cars that are uh, going somewhere, but they're all stuck. I mean, it could just be, again, if you take it literally, it's like traffic. Okay. You, uh, or like, if you take it literally, it could mean a dream thing where it's like cars are trying to go, but they're stuck. But if you take it metaphorically, it's like they're in traffic. Like if you're running away from the dog, it means something else. If you're looking for metaphors, but if you, I don't know. If you take it literally, it screams dream to me. Um, so I think that might be part of it. And then, or you could take that even a step further and maybe not a dream, but maybe the uh, the author or the singer narrator has died and they're in a liminal space, right? It's like, mm. I can't break out of this kind of, right. you know, that movie Waking Life or any of that stuff where it's like, I can't break out of this thing. It feels like a dream, but in fact, you're dead. And this is some kind of step before the afterlife and you're trying to get there even if you don't know consciously that's what you're trying to do or where you're stuck it's where you're just stuck in the, the little yeah. thing so but i think that's bob would say that i mean even the highlands being you know sort of a land of the undying type of lord of the rings oh, it shit, feels very you know, valhalla like kind of the highlands are over there yeah. yeah the highlands are over there that's death you know and so again this goes back to episode 90 not dark yet which is on time out of mind not dark yet but it's getting there that is like the ethos of the whole album and very much the ethos of Highlands. You know, it's not dark yet, but it's getting there. And that can either be negative or as we see at the end of this, this song, the sun is shining. I'm positive about this. Like I'm not sad that, that the end is coming, but I'm okay with it. Um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's great. I think the dream state is definitely something I picked on. It's verse two. We go right to a dream. <clears throat> so in my head, it was like, this is all dream state, baby. But Grau Marcus, you know, a, a big Bob Dylan writer, of course, writing about this being like an old timer. Um, he says, quote, from some, some fading city in Cincinnati, Hollywood, a timeless all-American nowheresville you see in David Lynch's blue velvet uh, going out for a walk. Uh, quote, the song is someone else's dream, but as Dylan sings it, you're dreaming it. And David Bowman thinks that this is kind of like with um, I'm Not There. He he thinks that this is the closest we get to Bob Dylan's head. Um, this is, quote, what it's like for Bob Dylan to be Bob Dylan. So that's one strain of it, that it's all Bob Dylan. And that goes back to I'm Not There. We already talked all, all about that two, week, two episodes ago. So if you believe in that kind of stuff, then, yeah, this is Bob Dylan going for a walk. And he runs into a waitress. And he goes to a park 
cool. Or it's it's more to it. But see, that's where there's a, a shift. Like the I feel like the song's kind of in two parts. There's the amorphous ideas of being oppressed in this like working nine to five grind that everybody's miserable and we're just trapped in these cities and what we should be is out in nature right. and out in somewhere more beautiful or there's slower pace of life or what have you. And then it stops from waxing poetic about that and kind of like lamenting lost youth, although we revisit that theme later. Uh, and, and then transitions into ne- right now right. I'm in Boston. Like, so before he's talking theoretical, he's talking about, you know, how everything sucks now basically. But now he's like, let me tell you about this time I was in Boston. <laughs> <Let me> t- <laughs> so I feel like there's a definitely a disconnect. And then we go, like, after he leaves the diner, we go back to the idea of, oh, man, I wish I was young again. I want to go to Valhalla. Right. Okay, bye. <laughs> sure. No, I, I agree. Well, I think let's explore this by going through the beats here. So I think let's start with, I, I made it into five five parts, Kelly. Uh, I'm a big into parts okay. at this point. Part number one <laughs> is the Highlands as an ideal. Now, you can listen to Robert Burns' poem, my Heart's in the Highlands on Spotify and on our playlist. That's that's uh, at SOTWpod.com and see that my playlist is kept clean, respectively. Nice. Um, nice. 1790 was when the poem was written. The poem itself is in completion on online, so you can listen to the whole thing. It's a very short poem. But essentially, it is just My Heart's in the Highlands. I'm longing for, in this case, Scotland. Very much Scotland, right? I mean, Scotland is... Uh, Robert Burns is the Scottish poet, at least in our world. Um, so he is talking about Scotland writ large. Bob Dylan is probably not talking about Scotland, although he is using the Highlands. He's using Aberdeen for the waters. There are Aberdeens in America as well, but they don't quite fit. So I think, again, he's playing with other forms and using them for himself, but is he talking about Scotland? I don't think Bob Dylan sees heaven being in Scotland. I don't know what his connections to Scotland are, but I doubt they're that deep. Uh, Robert Burns might feel that way, of course. Like, I would want to be dead in Scotland, of course. So some people say, well, does Bob want to die in the North Country, right? Scotland is north of England. It's the North Country of England. We know Bob Dylan's from the North Country, Minnesota, all of that. Aberdeen, of course. There's an Aberdeen, South Dakota. Could that be the Aberdeen waters? And I'm looking at Moccasin Creek going through Aberdeen, South Dakota. It's a very tiny creek. I don't think those are the the waters, the epic waters that someone wants to, (laughs) to sleep by. So I don't, again, I don't think any of this stuff is real. But I do like the idea of longing. And, you know, with Robert Burns, I think it took on another layer because of all the people that left Europe to go to America, right? So longing for the Highlands becomes something generational, you know, something big. So when Bob Dylan says something like that, I dream, I, I'm thinking about the Highlands. I don't think it means Scotland. It just means the place that I came from, the place that I want to be, uh, becomes almost a symbol. And, you know, he refers to it in a couple of ways in the song. He calls it gentle and fair, talks about it at the break of dawn, the break of day, uh, wherever I roam, that's where, that's where I'll be when I get called home very explicitly about dying. So the Highlands, the word Highlands specifically, is that only ever colloquially used to mean Scottish Highlands? Or, I mean, isn't it just an elevation? Like, couldn't anywhere be the Highlands? It is, yeah. No, uh, to have a Highland is also to to have a valley. Well, I immediately think of Scotland and nothing else, and it's just so funny. It's like, there have to be other Highlands. (laughs) I think that he's done other, like, navel-gazing life 
specific about my life. This is, I, I don't know, yeah, that is reductive, I think, because this is clearly more broadly about the feeling of longing. And I wish I were, were young again. I wish I could have seen. I wish I knew now what I what I knew back then or whatever the fucking, you know. Yeah. If I knew now. Uh, you are now a gardener, though, Kelly. We talked about... <laughs> Um, <laughs> gardens sure. uh, a minute ago. And I do want to get into that a little bit. Actually, before I get to that, I want to shout out the MVP of Highlands. And maybe the my favorite thing I read is Michael Gray from the Bob Dylan Encyclopedia uh, about the, na- the, the natural element of this song. He says, quote, the main thing that Dylan does, though, is write of it, um, talking about the Highlands, imaginatively. That is, so that we see the idealized fantasy place that calls to the contemporary, alienated, rootless citizen of today's urban-slash-suburban USA, whose grasp of plant life detail is shaky, but whose ardor is real. And I was like, that's me. That's you. That's most of us. Yeah. We don't really know that much about stuff, but we want to believe we've got a green thumb and we we can do it. So in this, there's a lot of plants in here, and I want your take in a moment, but there's a lot of nature. So we got the honeysuckles mm. blooming. We've got the bluebells blazing, the Aberdeen waters flowing. Uh, later, um, the wind whispers through the Buckeye trees. There's the beautiful um, Black Swan Lake, white clouds like chariots that swing down low. There's horses. There's hounds. Um, far away from town, obviously, we hear the twang of an arrow. Um, and then over the hills and far away, probably like the most famous nursery rhyme type of thing. Uh, ever. But it turns out that a lot of that stuff is actually not as it seems. Uh, there's a British sculptor by the name of Andrew Drake who writes, quote, in selecting the bluebells and the honeysuckle, uh, he has two of the most transporting scents that might come to you on a woodland walk. They are so powerful that it's like total immersion for the first brief moment and the brevity and the brevity is part of its power. They overwhelm and immobilize the mind and spread a balm of pure pleasure. But in actuality, it is unlikely that one could experience both in the same day. Honeysuckle is later on in the season. And the same with the, the buckeye trees, which are an American tree, the American, um, for, uh, the horse chestnut tree. It isn't, it is in England, but uh, it's not likely to be seen in the Scottish Highlands if we're in Scotland. Um, so just like the primrose in Ain't Talking, we're talking about plants being used out of context. And just kind of mash together, even though you wouldn't actually experience that. And that makes it more dreamlike, too, right? Because you're feeling and experiencing all these different flavors, even though they would never happen in real life, you know, natural life. Yeah, that's. but in a dream, you can have whatever you want. <laughs> totally. And I just thought of you because you, you have hounds. Stacia is a horse girl. <laughs> You know, did, did, <laughs> and I mean, you already kind of touched on it, I suppose. I mean, I wanted, because sign on the window, I mean, the reason why this podcast is called that is because a lot of what's being said here is very much the ideal. It's something, it's about, you know, living that type of kind of life. I mean, it's, it's a song that resonates with me. And I think sign on the window is a pretty, pretty good one-to-one to, to Highlands as well. Highlands is kind of a long meditation upon, you know, one, one of the ideas inside of sign on the window, but yeah, now you're a planter, you're a gardener. Yeah. Do you feel... So... In the Highlands? Nope. Uh, it's this is just an experimental season because we've never grown anything before. Uh, I will tell you that we were able to harvest some of our broccoli. However, mm. our broccoli leader broccoli and our cauliflower got infested with tiny little bugs, and I don't know what they are. Wow! But we could not remove them from the broccoli because, like as you are aware, broccoli has those tightly nestled yeah. little flower 
Those are flower pods also, by the way. Did you know that? If you let wow. broccoli keep growing and you don't harvest it, all those little tiny fuckers turn into flowers. Isn't that crazy? Whoa. Yeah, the things you learn from growing the plants. The things you learn. <laughs> uh, but yeah, imagine within that tightly nestled little you know, pre-flower yeah, bud stuff, tiny little bugs all throughout that. There's no way you're getting oh, those out. So no, so we, we didn't, we weren't able to eat half of our broccoli and we didn't eat any of the cauliflower because it was all bugs. But, cool. uh, and then uh, our lettuce is kind of on its last legs because you can cut the leaves off and it'll keep growing. But every time it comes back, it kind of gets worse and worse. Um, our strawberries, I think might be done. Uh, our tomatoes, however, we started really late, so they are still growing, so they're okay for now. No tomatoes yet. Our cucumbers are struggling, and they're not ready. Like, nothing that's not fruiting yet. The squash is not fruiting yet either, but they're still alive, and they're okay. Yeah. Um, you know, wow. just this nor- is normal epic. stuff. Yeah. Nor- normal stuff. Yeah. But I will say, this was all supposed to be a, a dry run for next year, where we're actually... And, and there, oh, we have a container food garden so oh yeah and we made uh we grew snap peas and they're delicious and sweet and oh, amazing and they're so great so good you just grab them right off the little vine and uh-huh. they're so good dude edamame uh, straight up that sounds awesome i mean basically it's yeah. just like that uh so next year we're gonna actually grow in the ground because this is all containers this year and we will oh, take okay, our, I see. our our massive knowledge that we've gained by ruining lots of stuff uh and try better yeah and then we've got rabbits out here apparently that yeah. eat all of the stuff so they're eating grandma's plants now that we planted so oh yeah it's tough yeah slugs Ooh, yeah. there's also something called mm. the spittle bug so i was really alarmed when i went to go cut the lettuce down that there was like this slimy bubbly spit it looks like spit all over i was like oh god i hope this isn't toxic but yeah there's something nice. called a spittle bug that just leaves little weird spit deposits all over the leaves nature and it's not toxic you just wash it off but it's real gross yeah Why? ah beautiful Why? nature what what is life anyways well th- this is going to turn into a plant Podcast. That has been garden update. <laughs> well, we want a garden update. Uh, well, I mean, that's and that speaks to it, right? The, the Highlands uh, as as an ideal, and obviously, I think Highlands for me is all about death. So you're just like your garden and the bugs and the slime, <laughs> right. death, death reigns over your garden this year. But uh, part two, I would say, would be the Highlands in opposite repose, if you will, um, where the narrator talks about the Highlands in relation to himself. And this is where we get what could be an incredibly bad Bob Dylan song, in my opinion, because verse two, where we're talking about it being a dream to me smacks of we're about to go down a really dark route where we're going to talk about the Highlands and then how sad I am and then dream about the Highlands and then how sad I am dream about the Highlands, which is kind of what sort happens. of. But it, if it's not for the Boston restaurant, this I think this we'll get to that in a second. But like. It is kind of wild. You know, there's a lot of this this sad, you know, I, I'm in the same old rat race type of thing. Even the Neil Young line. I mean, what do you think of that? Like the Neil Young thing is strange because it's like, I don't know what to make of it. Like I'm listening to Neil Young. I got to turn up the sound. Everybody's telling me to turn it down. Is that society telling you to like stop listening to Neil Young or just like the ideas that Neil Young is given like cool, fun vibes? So like turn it down. We don't want that. Weird. Yeah. I mean, clearly it's it's a metaphor for being told to not right. enjoy your life because that's all society is, is a reason. Like, just stop doing what you're doing. You are nothing but a co- capitalism, capitalism, right. rah, rah, rah. But I don't know enough about Neil Young <laughs> to know what kind of terrible ideas he might be espousing. Perhaps it, it needs to be turned down and, and, and even turned off because he's a dangerous man. <laughs> Online uh, people are like, I just saw <laughs> I Neil know. Young uh, the other week and he couldn't have turned it up louder. Like, it was too loud. He should turn it down. It was like, okay, I don't know what that <laughs> has to do with the song, but thank you for the aside. What Amazing. I do find interesting is that clearly 
in this song and many others, like uh, Sign on the Window, right? Is that the name of the album? Why can't I remember anything? No, New Morning. New, New morning. morning, that's it. He has, for what his, seems like his whole life, at least his life that I've been able to like go through thus far, he longs for this idyllic life. And if anyone... <laughs> on the planet could achieve that it'd be someone such as bob dylan who has a fuck ton of money if he really wanted to go live on a farm the man could go live on a farm and i think and it sounds like he you know he when he had his motorcycle crash he clearly like fucked off for a while because he needed i think he wanted a taste of that but with most things in life or as with most things in life the grass is always greener man literally the grass might be uh, beautiful and look great but it takes effort to make it look that way and i think when you're in it you're like god gardening's a pain in the ass but if you enjoy it you know if that's your hobby that's great and like i'm certainly i like doing it it's i don't feel it burdensome but like he has this ideal image of this place but if he were there he'd probably be unhappy too because it's work or it's not what he actually loves doing is being on the road and playing music and if it that has to be true because if if it weren't he could not do that right but clearly he has other passions and exploits he, he does art he does other stuff so i don't think the man is is unhappy but we i think it's part of human nature to just be slightly dissatisfied know, with where is. you're of at even is. if you're doing the thing you love and isn't that bullshit or to be with the person you love i mean if bob dylan's one thing it is a serial you know womanizer right i mean he's with women all the time it's that same thing. I mean, you have it good and then you write an entire fucking lifetime of longing for that feeling that you could have had, but you might not have made yeah. the art you made if you didn't do it. Like there's that. And that's that push and pull with all of us. It's like, I wish I did this thing, but only by me not doing it allows me to reminisce about it and long for it. But if I did do it, I would be longing for this. I could have taken that route. Right. It's the grass is always greener. And you're absolutely right. Just to piggyback on the dreamlike um, feeling. Um, I like the idea of him almost going through a haze. I mean, a lot of this isn't so much a dream as like he's having a dream inside of his head while he's interacting with the real world. Have you ever had a dream like that? That's like so real that you can like feel it the next day, the next morning, because I feel like that's kind of what's going on here. And I mean, the Highlands maybe are supposed to sort of exude that where I can always feel death, if you will, always on me. Like the Highlands are always present. And when I'm walking about my life, I can always feel it. I don't know if you've ever felt that. I don't know if that's what Bob Dylan's trying to get to, but. Yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely am not a lucid dreamer, but I mean, there's certainly dreams where you wake up that you, you feel it more yeah. than, than other dreams where it just stay with you even for a little bit longer. Um, the Highlands is death, obviously, or like where you go after you die, right? More, yeah. More specifically, uh, the Valhalla nature. I am curious about certain things when he talks about uh, when I feel good enough. You know, when I get called home makes sense because it's like when I die, I'm called home to heaven, whatever, the highlands, right? But he he says, I'm going to go there when I feel good enough is really interesting because if it is death, then would you not need to feel the opposite of good enough? Would you cut or, the you ultimate know, not good enough? I mean, enough? but if it's heaven, you're good enough to be welcomed into heaven, right? I mean, oh, right, yeah. right. It's a moral good enough, not a health good enough. Okay, move or on. or or that you're ready. I mean, taking away the religious context, it's like when I'm ready, when I'm good, right? When when I'm good, sure. and I've done my fill. Which again, I don't think a, somebody like Bob Dylan will ever do their fill. You know, life will just end before the fill is taken. So, I mean, that's almost funny that 
the the narrator, if it's Bob or whoever, the narrator saying what we intone Bob Dylan to feel, which is that, you know, he'll never be good enough, clearly, because he could have rested on his laurels 15 times already and never had to work another moment in his life. But he keeps going. Why? That's all. That's for him to know. Um, yeah, there's other moments in here about, you know, other people, obviously, the feeling like I'm drifting from scene to scene, that kind of stuff. Insanity smashing up against my soul. Um, if I had a conscience, well, I might just blow my top. What would I do with it anyway? Take it to a pawn shop. Good shit. Pretty great, great line. Um, yeah. I was like, how many times the conscience thing I looked up, uh, Bob Dylan's talked about conscience, his conscience a couple of times, uh, famously in visions of Johanna, his conscience explodes. Uh, if you got to go, go right now or else you got to stay up all night or else you got to stay all night. Um, he talks about the guilty conscience you might have from not banging one another. So that's a thing. Mm. Um, in every grain of sand, he sings about indulgence, choking uh, the breath of conscience and good cheer. So that's kind of a bummer uh, after banging. Um, um, <laughs> before he gets the doctor prescribed FDA patent pending shot of love, um, Dylan, his conscience is beginning to bother him today. So he gets that shot of love and he's good. But the most, the, the most plausible thing that, like that has a one-to-one with Highlands is a song from 1989 on Oh Mercy called uh, Man in the Long Black Coat, which he talks about later having his long leather jacket. Uh, and this verse in lo- uh, Man in the Long Black Coat goes thus. Preacher was a talking, there was a sermon he gave. He said, every man's conscience is vile. And you pray, you cannot depend on it to be your guide When it's you who must keep it satisfied It ain't easy to swallow, it sticks in the throat To give her heart to the man in a long black coat so, I mean, if he's talking about a conscience like that, something vile and depraved, it's it's pretty um, one-to-one that he would say, might as well take it to a pawn shop. I was like, damn, Bob, you really don't give a shit about this thing. You're going to sell it like a futon. <laughs> I mean, to me, that's kind of, I mean, that's kind of dark. I mean, that's kind of dark. I mean, and I suppose that's the well, point, yeah. you know, you're in that kind of weird spot. And then uh, after the restaurant, so we're going to get to the restaurant in a moment, but post-restaurant, we also get a couple more things where he's talking about how some things in life, it's too late to learn. You know, I've made a couple of bad turns. You know, every day is the same. I've made too many mistakes. You know, it's this kind of, I don't get to, you know, sort of lamenting, like, here's the Highlands, but my life is bad. I'm not going to be able to go there. And I guess it's a bummer, I suppose. You know, like, I don't know. I'm cry- And then to get away from the mangy dog, like we talk about, you know, Cyrus, the dog or whatever, the three-headed dog is symbolizes death, right? I mean, that's kind of what I thought about. You know, the whole voting thing, I think, is just like, things are bad enough. How dare you? I think that maybe we get exhausted by our lives in the city, and this is just like the little myriad webs of that, right? Even the selling your conscience, because this city is fucking lost. Everyone around you is an idiot. What do we even need that for? Everyone else is such an asshole. Who needs a conscience? Clearly, Go back to nature, right? In nature, we'll have our conscience, yep. And it's certainly the easy way, too. I think that that the heavy register to vote becomes powerful, too. It's like clearly this person, instead of entrenching in the community, trying to make it better, trying to make the world around them better, you just write it off as a lost cause. I'm going to fuck off to the woods. And I get it, man, because I'm certainly at I'm going to fuck off to the woods point. You know, you just live. It becomes such a pressure 
you know you can't fix this alone and stuff feels irreparably broken so often that it's like obviously i can't fix it so but i can not feel this anymore by just not being here and like yeah. that's what the highlands man i can't i can't do this I can't anymore. Do it anymore i wish i was a kid again and it's not only because not only do i have the wisdom of being old but but not the body to live that what i would have done if i still I had the good looking girl and the dancing and all that stuff but also the ignorance to not know how bad things are when you're a kid you have the bliss of not having the weight of the world on you yeah. and I just want that off. I just want to go to Valhalla. God damn it. No, absolutely. Well, I want to talk about that a little bit more, but we can't talk about that until we go to part three, which is what's going on in this Boston restaurant. So it bursts into our song. It disrupts our entire flow and the consistent <laughs> really, flow really of the does. song uh, completely. And then we, you know, sort of chalk it up to longing for the Highlands. Somehow this, this fits into our song. Um, some people hate this. Clinton Halen being one of them thinks that this is superfluous. Huh. Um, some see it as a playful critique um, of Bob Dylan himself, sort of dunking on himself um, because of well, uh, d- dunking on other people uh, with their demands for people to make art. You know, I mean, sure. I, that resonated with me. Like, uh, you're an artist, make me an art piece right, right. now. But other people see it as um, a, a, a self dunk about his own sexist reputation with women. You know, the way he's responding to her, the way he objectifies her, the way he draws her, the way he just says, I've read one author and then bounces. Some people see it as flirt- flirtation, like the two of them are flirting with one another. And I'm like, I don't know about that. They seem to have a, a real, but you know, I could see them maybe, yeah, maybe going off to a broom closet together. I guess if this was a TV show, <laughs> but, but it's not. And some people just see it as two lonely people in a city, you know? outside of the highlands just trying to make a connection however they can um what did you make of this strange hard-boiled egg filled soft-boiled egg i mean whichever one you want i know red pill oh blue God. pill which one are you taking kelly i've never had a soft-boiled egg but i totally would be into it because i like a runny egg i'll, I'll have some runny egg on toast i'm into that so i, I maybe i'll do that but i feel like you got to go the full the full nine yards and you got to do a whole nine yards whatever uh and do the egg cup of which i do uh, not own that's what my mom has started making those things it's they're yeah oh, really? using yeah she does i'm like bro what is all of this it's it's amazing that's amazing but it's too bad because huh. the restaurant doesn't have them doesn't have eggs soft or hard-boiled as soft as eggs period which what's what kind uh. of a diner doesn't have eggs Incredible. I mean, that seems like a pretty staple item for a diner. Staple. I Well, that's what I mean. It's weird. So what what do you make of all that? So much for Boston. Um, I know. I, I think it's it really works in the way, like, the reason why people are frustrated by it or don't like it, it really works. Like, it, especially whoever it was, Growl, Marcus, or whoever, who called, like, hearkened to a David Lynch film. It's very yeah. David Lynchian. And it's like, we're talking... At once about how absolutely fucking surreal and dreamlike we can get away from a topic through metaphors and all this stuff. And then boiling, intercutting that within a completely innocuous, Mm -hmm. random, everyday transaction. And I like that. I like, I think that's interesting because it's, it's always challenging in a narrative when you're like, we're linearly doing this thing. Bam, scene that doesn't make any sense. And now we're back on the path. It's just like, (laughs) I don't know. I I really like that. I think that's fun. Although it, um, I think that it, it makes the listener possibly put a lot more 
depth and meaning into this because everything else is so metaphorical that you could then spin this into like a litany of things that I don't think it is. I'm pretty charitable to this interaction in this part of the song. I don't think it's super full of malice and I think it actually ends pretty well. But I could see if you're bringing in the weight of life is terrible, then you're supposed to think this interaction is also terrible. And that could be that's a totally logical take yeah. to have of it because that is the theme of the song is that everything's yeah. terrible i want to be in the highlands so then you would think this is terrible too because it's part of the song however i think it's totally fine does he objectify her i guess because he says she has a pretty face and shiny legs man sometimes you just look at somebody and you're like you got shiny legs and also you're attractive i mean like that just it is a thing true I, th- I think that the only the only dichotomy there is that the idea of studying somebody right you would you would have more to say right so like she gets to study him I assume it's a him again. I'm just going to say it's a him because it's very explicitly sort of an, a Bob Dylan type of character. But again, the narrator. So she is studying the narrator and probably, you know, by study means like I'm going to have a lot of things to say, whereas our narrator just sees a pretty face and some shiny legs, whatever that means. Some white, shiny legs. You know, that's all oh. that there is to her. That's all that there is to her. And the study is really, I think, what what the problem is there. Not the problem. There's not really a problem. I like the interaction, too. I want to just say that as well. I think that you can read way too deeply into this, whereas sometimes the eggs are just the eggs. And I do They're agree with eggs. that. And I think it's funny because I think it can be it can be worked on multiple levels because when she draws when he draws the the photo and she's like, that's not who that's not what I look like. That can either be read as she doesn't know what she looks like. Right. She sees she sees herself in a totally different light and he's drawing her yeah. accurately and she's full of herself and he is just doing what, you know, drawing it realistically or he's terrible at art. He's actually a terrible artist. <laughs> right. And it looks nothing like right. her. Exactly. Or it's like compl- or again, if we go back to that, it's just basically a circle face, huge knockers and some legs. <laughs> and she's Shiny like, is legs. that all you see of me? Do you even read women's literature? Right. And it's like, yeah, I've read one book. Bye. <laughs> you know, so you can see yeah. it in that regard as well, where it's like, what was this photo and how bad was it? Right. Because yeah, in my head, so it's just kind I, of like, oh, it doesn't look like her. But it could just be a stick figure with some knockers. Done. Totally. Totally. And I hope it is. Um, <laughs> I think she starts off the interaction negatively because clearly she recognizes. <laughs> if you're if you're a famous enough artist for someone to know who you, what you look like. Yeah. Like, that's pretty intense. Because often you only know their work, right? Because why would you know what they look like? Sure. I mean, now everybody's online and that's a different story. But still, you have to be pretty into somebody to know what they look like. Even for a band. If you don't actually follow that band closely, yeah. you would never be able to pick those people out in a crowd because you just know their music. Anyway, so she starts off by saying, hey, I heard you were a comedian. Tell me a fucking joke. Right? Like, <laughs> I know it's tough. Okay, come on. Not great. But, but I, it's not... That's a lot of people will do that kind of shit. So it's not like she's just unique amongst she's a particularly special asshole. But well, one layer beyond that, too, is, well, it would just be we also get it from his perspective that she knows I'm a like I'm, I'm a famous artist. We imply that there's no implication that he's famous, that there's anything about this narrator that's actually that should be known. This guy oh, sure. could come here every single day. For 40 yeah, he, years. She could have just watched him sketching all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah. th- that's the thing, too, where we know Bob Dylan. So it does seem kind of weird for us to hear, draw me a photo. It's funny because Bob does draw and do art. But at this time, he was obviously he is a musician first and foremost. So it is funny to have our narrator, who is Bob Dylan singing, being told to draw when it's like, I'm an artist. Yes, but not that type of art. And it's like, right. no, no, no. Draw me a picture, loser. And it's like. Okay, uh, sure, because I'm an artist, right? <laughs> right? You think art is just drawing, 
but I'm an artist in another way. Right. So I kind of right. get that level of it too, where, you know, I see again, I love this because there's so many different ways that you can kind of read it. And there's a lot of really poignant m- moments too. I love when he says, um, when she says, I know you're an artist, draw a picture of me. And he says, I wish that I could, but I don't do sketches from memory. And yeah, that's, that's another, a it's a lovely line, but then it's also kind of dark because if you're going to read it a certain way, it's, you could have the woman saying, I'm not a fucking memory. I'm a flesh and blood person. You, you don't value women enough to make us real people. So you're going to draw a photo of me based upon the last person you loved, the last mm. woman that jilted you 20 years ago. Cause you don't actually see me as a person. So you're going to draw her when I'm standing right in front of you. You know, that type of I stuff. just took it completely as a dream. That That's totally a dream moment where it's like where, where you're the person, if you're watching, if this is a movie, right, you're watching the movie and this is the moment where the narrator, the main character realizes, uh-oh, this isn't real. Memory, what do you mean? I'm here right now, but maybe you're not, maybe you don't exist. Maybe I'm, what? Yeah. So I was not taking it in that way, but that, you could totally The memory that thing too. too, I think it's just lovely because it's like, it's almost uh, acknowledging the dream state where it's like, memory like i know that this isn't real i know that this happened in the past and so i'm like talking like it's in the past like i know it's a dream but that person's reacting like it's not a dream right because i know it's a dream so i'm saying the memory and it's like no no what are you talking about tell me do a drawing on me now and then he's like oh okay i just have to keep going with the dream right i just have to keep going because this is part of the dream i have to draw the thing because it's part of the dream but i know i'm just drawing a memory of a person who's not really there you know and i think that's really lovely I mean, it, it totally fits in also with him walking along to the next phase of it. This could be older Bob Dylan stuck in a, a vision of the past. These are all just like ghostly images of when he was a kid, when he was in his 20s. And he remembered he's just thinking and remembering this fucking interaction he had with some woman at a diner. But she, I can't draw her now because that was so long ago and I don't remember I it. And those kids are, are kids now, but I'm so old. And it's just like, yeah. Anyway, cool stuff. And I like it. Um, the... I guess what people would probably be contentious about is the, like, have you read any women authors? Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's what I was going to, before I got to that, I just, I would be remiss to say Michael Gray does note that the standard blues double entendre is that the penis is a pencil with or without lead. So she finds oh. it behind the ear. So just so we're all <laughs> on that level as well. She had a dick on her ear. Great. Or, well, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> It's just I can't find my pencil. Do you mind finding it for me, please? Thank you. Um, The women authors thing was always and continues to kind of be the strangest part of the whole thing. Although, again, it really is so much easier to swallow with the contention that Bob Dylan is like, I'm not a racist. I have one black friend. That's what this reads to me. It just so happens you pick an author that is, well, famous. You know, she was famous at the time and famous for a book called The Fear of Flying. So him just saying that name, like it's something that could have been pulled out by a lot of mainstream people at the time as feminist, as you know, you, if you want to do your bona fides and show that you're, you know, not a misogynist or a sexist or whatever, that that would be the book you would want to choose. So him saying it, if you're being uncharitable, that's the one thing. Otherwise you can only see it as like a dunk on her, right? Like you don't know me. I read books. Yeah. Like who? Erica Young. Yeah. Maybe I'm being uncharacteristically charitable towards Bob Dylan in regards to women. But I think that she came at him aggressively like, I bet you don't even read women authors because of the drawing. Like, clearly you're an asshole. You're some kind of sexist who just only views women through a certain lens, which is titties and shiny legs. Um, So I I don't think that's representative of me or literally any woman because we're not a monolith and blah, 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 blah. Right. 
But she's also making an assumption. Of, we don't know what the drawing is, so we can't fully comment on that. We cannot. He is doing the one black friend thing on some level, but then you also need context. She's like, you totally. don't read any women totally. authors. But the line is, oh, uh, uh, what would it matter anyway? And I think that's the more important thing. It's like, why are you asking me? If you're asking me to prove some kind of litmus test, whether or not I'm on your same tribe or whatever the fuck, then, yeah, sure, I guess I'll pull out. Uh, here you go. Here's what this is. Does that mean I can eat my eggs now? Like, sure, fine. But if you, I want to know why you're asking me because are you t coming at me like you think I'm some fucking misogynist because you're making some assumptions about some shit? Like, that's important. We, it's so easy now to be so divisive about everything. If you don't say the right thing, then you're not part of the group and you're fucking banished forever. Or you like, you make one misstep because you didn't do it the exact way that the rest of the group did it. It's like you're invalidated as a human. And that snap judgment of just like slotting people into red team or blue team is just like so stupid. And then that's this kind of interaction to me. It's like, he did he do anything wrong to you like did he i don't i i don't know man i i wish i had a, a cogent point but you know what i'm trying to say like if because if i'm not on your side completely what will that mean to me am i gonna get coffee thrown on me am i gonna get like what's going on right here well, and you're for totally me, right so if, if somebody came at me with this question which i mean probably wouldn't happen because i'm a woman but if somebody were to challenge me in that way it's like yeah i've read literally no feminist literature i've if you're trying to grill me i don't pass your litmus test does that mean i'm a fucking sexist off the bat like i need to context fucking matters like th things depending on what they are 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 offensive or not and just to be like carte blanche you're a dick because of this without knowing like uh anyway yeah Context, and man. back before the internet, you almost had to ask them because you couldn't just go troll their history and see what type of oh, sure, you know shit they sure. say and do all that Dig kind of stuff. Dig up a terrible tweet from when they were twelve. <laughs> Michael Gray on this point is is pretty good, so I'm just going to read him just the full quote here. So he says uh, there are also the quite brilliant detonations set off on a hilarious self put down of a retort to her challenge, you don't read women authors, do you? Itself a refreshing, unpredictable capturing of the waitress's contemporary sensibility made in less than a few lines. And he says, like a reluctant schoolboy whose teacher has questioned his homework excuse, read Erica Jong, pronouncing it Jong instead of Yong, and because of the, the rhyme, the he says, uh, still making the long-suspended, joyously ludicrous half-rhyme with the other real name that he threw into the song hours ago, Neil Young. He said, the whole gift of Bob Dylan giving us a cameo of, of feminist debate and wholly free of any unpleasant reactionary sneering is a delightful surprise, totally outside the range of subject matter we expect from him. There's also the uncanny fact that Erica Young's terrible novel, I can't vouch for that, Any Woman's Blues Ooh. in 1990, actually includes the line, quote, he had scribbled a rough sketch on a napkin, not my style at all. Ah. Uh, which is great. So the Erica Young thing is the fear of flying. She's famous for that book, 1973. She coined the term zipperless fuck, uh, which is sort of having sex with two people, un unknown people, men in this case, uh, that don't. As in the quote, she talked about like one is not trying to cuckold the other. The other's not trying to dominate the other. It's basically just sort of like having sex with people that you kind of know and they're not being any weird expectations about it. And that being something, again, it was very controversial in 1973 because we don't talk about sex and the fear of flying and her as a writer 
are very ensconced in the the second wave. I like what he says there about there's no reactionary sneering, which we have put onto it because that is the type of shit you would get when someone's questioning you. It is in a way to sneer at you, right? You don't have enough knowledge. You don't read the right books. And it is why by Bob Dylan basically saying deuces, we kind of, we don't have that and we just move on. It's another interaction in the world. And maybe in a way, we all kind of do that stuff in our own little ways. Um, maybe not exactly with that, but our own bona fides that we make people conform to, to be friends with them or whatever. I don't know. Which I guess is fair if we went to a book club and you're there and you're like, hey, Kelly, what do you think about the book? He said, I don't read. I didn't read the book. You'd be like, bitch, this is a book club. Get out. But I would never like, join well, the book club. I mean, if and you I were to then say, I deserve to be here. Too, know, people just invading spaces that maybe they shouldn't be in and then being like, why is everyone mad at me? <laughs> No, it's fair. Yeah. And that's and that is not what's happening here. But, you know, you're at a diner just hanging out. So that that's very funny. Part four. The Highlands for thee, not for me. So this is where the narrator sees everybody else. You kind of alluded to this already, where he's got a line right after he leaves a diner about uh, what is it? I see people in the park forgetting their troubles and woes. They're drinking and dancing, wearing bright colored clothes. All the women are looking good. The men looking are looking so good. good. Everyone's looking so good. And here I am. I'm so old. Lovey man. I trade my I trade it all. I'm so old, you know, which I think everyone's going to feel like. But it also, to me, feels sort of reactionary as well, which is like I get this only because like I feel this a little bit here in South Dakota. It's like there's this idea that young people living their lives because of the clothes that they wear are they take life less seriously. They're less serious people They They deserve ridicule. And in this case, the implication to me is that Bob would trade it. I think Bob, the person, the poet, would trade it because he would love to re be able to redo the stuff he did. He would love to be able to live the life again or whatever. But there's also an element of, I wish I could just be carefree. I wish I could have no problems. Look at all these people. Look at young people. They have no problems today because of my own worldview. When our, uh, young people have it easy. Everything's given to them. You know, my own little old brain is like having a conniption fit right now. So when I see people having fun and enjoying themselves, I want to be like them only because I want to not have to deal with any of my own bullshit, my life that I didn't feel like lived up to my standards or whatever. And I think that that, if you read it like that, it makes it sadder. It makes it more dark. It makes this character longing for the afterlife even more sad, but it doesn't have to be like that. It can also just be like, yeah, I wish I was young again. I wish I was making blonde on blonde again. I wish I was taking speed again. Like, I'm sure there's an element of that, too, for Bob, you know, yeah, where it's I'm like, sure OK, it's, I get it. You really could either read it either way. He's either sad because he knows he's on the march to the Highlands because he is dead or is about to die. Um, or he's just like, man, I wish I was a kid again. Like, I know. You know some people do. Well, verse three, and I wish someone could come and push back the clock for me. I'd lovely. I yeah. love that line a lot. And, you know, in that before that, we get a we get him saying, you know, I don't want anything from anyone. Ain't ain't that much to take. That reminds me a lot of Not Dark Yet, where he sings, I ain't looking for nothing in anybody's eyes. Uh, he talks about real knowing the real blonde and a fake. Obviously, Bob Dylan, blonde on blonde. He made that when he was, you know, 25 years old. You know, so if you're longing to go back in time. I mean, I said blonde on blonde for a reason, you know, I think there is a little bit of that kind of a subtle, like I used to be able to tell a blonde on blonde, right? I used to be able to tell, but now I don't know the difference anymore because life has passed me by, 
which again is very sad. And then at the end of the penultimate verse, we also get him saying, you know, the sun is going to shine. You know, he's ending on a good note, which I think is pretty nice. But he's talking about the party being over. So the youth, the youth are going to take over. I am not a youth anymore. And, you know, all I have to look forward to is the end. And again, that's either sad or it's not sad. It's really just based upon you. Well, hopefully he was good enough. Hopefully he was good enough. And part five, the final one, how do you make it into the Highlands? You know, we get a lot about the inevitability of the return. We get him saying in verse one, I'm going to go there when I feel good enough to go. As you said, verse four, I can only get there one step at a time. Verse seven, the only place left to go. So like he's exhausted everything else. And verse 15, I can't see any other way to go. Uh, which could be a little like I have to do a certain thing to get there. So I don't know how else to get there. But I think it's also goes back to like, I've exhausted everything. I've lived my life. And now it's time to go. And the final verse is. Where my heart's in the highlands. Had to break a day. Over the hills and far away. There's a way to get there And I'll figure it out somehow But I'm already there in my mind And that's good enough for now Well, my heart's in the highlands at the break of day over the hills and far away. There's a way to get out of here and I'll figure it out somehow, but I'm already there in my mind and that's good enough for now. So again, that goes to your, I'm already there in my mind, which could be the dying dead mind of a corpse or, or it's the dream, you know, you wake up and you're already feeling, you know, the synapses of that vivid what's to come, you know, and maybe as you get older, you feel that. I don't know, Kelly, we're young. We're youths at this point still. Doesn't Are feel we still like youths? I don't know. I want to pretend like we're youths. <laughs> I, I, I try to make myself feel better of like, okay, 33. But that means I've only had like 20 years of semi-autonomy. Only 20 years. Okay. So that's a lot. <laughs> only 20 years. <laughs> so how did the end hit for you? Was that, did that, was that like a culmination of your idea of the whole thing being a dream or, you know, does it make you sad about death? I mean, what, what are you feeling here? I think it should make, if you're reading it as somebody who is not yet dead and they're just dreaming, I think that it should be comforting. No, death sucks, man. It's like um, I've been watching a lot of Adam Ruins Everything because it's on HBO Max. And I watched some of it on Netflix. They had some of it before. So now I'm like, oh, let's watch the whole thing. But they, uh, he had an episode about death. And it's like there's, you know, our we're just animals in some regards. And, and there's yeah. something like biologically that stops you when you think about your own mortality it's like you it's just like this it's beyond knee jerk it's like visceral it's within your bones to be like ah you can't conceptualize that not really you you can tell yourself like okay that it'll just be over and that's fine but then it's just like everything in you is like no i can't how does the world exist if i don't exist and it's just like this thing yeah this is 
a nice way to help you a little bit like maybe it'll be okay but i don't know i think that's a fairy tale element too where it's like you know over the woods and far away like i mean we tell ourselves stories to make ourselves feel better and this one is kind of a strange story with a weird interlude in boston in a diner but it is a story nonetheless that helps us you know grapple with these big things so to close this out before we talk about if it works i want to once again throw it to michael gray because again he really fucking knocks it out of the park with his essay on Highlands. Um, he says at the end of this, he says, quote, confessing to the never, never land pull of the Highlands, it signals a sad resignation that in truth he will never get there. But the warmth and tragic nobility that informs this sadness comes from it also being his loving farewell to the real human world that once was ardently lovable and is now glimpsed again for a moment before receding equally unreachable to carry this admirable concentration of meaning so lightly and elegantly. He discards briefly the simple relentless musical straight line that is so appropriate and right for the great unstoppable machine of the rest of the story with a fine enactment of ease gives that far away when he sings over the hills and far away, a little rising and falling filigree of melody that floats off just a little way above the rest, like a curved one, of the faraway hills. Kelly, does this song work in 2021? Yes. I think it achieves its point through the music. Uh, that quote from Michael Gray really works too. As I mentioned, it kind of like when you first listen to the song, the instruments kind of fill in and it's only in the right speaker at first too. Um, and then everything kind of surrounds and then it ends the same way, right? Where it's like things are just kind of, by themselves fading away and i think that that solidifies for me that this is in fact um purgatory situation right like where the liminal state where the you've definitely died but you're not ascended to this thing uh you know, sure. if any of that exists whatever just artistically i think that's what we're going for here um so i think the music complements that in the way that it comes in and, and doesn't have a definitive end the live version really ends like they're like and mm. song's done and, this, and we do the filigree up too where it's like another high yeah where where's yeah. this it comes in like we don't know where it came from but it's here now and it just keeps going because we don't really know what's going on and then it just disappears yeah with no logical or, or conclusive end. Well, we think about a fleeting moment as something really quick, but it's like a fleeting moment can also be 16 minutes in a life is almost no time. Yeah. So it's almost a funny fleeting moment where it's so long and yet so fleeting. And that's kind of scary too. I think that it works because it achieves its goal in that, if that, or rather if, I guess I can't say that if that's not the goal, but I, it feels right. It feels like that's the goal to just kind of visualize this moment of, I want to get to this place. Where am I? Uh, everything's weird. And now it's gone. Uh, yeah. and, and the concepts and ideas of, of a pastoral life or like a, a beautiful afterlife or all that stuff is, is going to be relevant regardless of the time that you're in. If it was 600 years ago or, you know, 200 years from now, I think that as we discussed, it is part of human nature to, to want something that you don't have because you just sure. convince yourself that it'll be better when you get there. So I, I do think it works. Yeah. Yeah, I think it absolutely works as well. Um, I'm pretty, pretty pro this song. I think in terms of time out of mind, <laughs> thematically, this is, I mean, this is it. And I'm going to close with a Michael Gray quote again for like the fourth time in here because it's so fucking good. But it is an excellent song. It sounds great. The live version's great. Everything is great. And it just takes one listen, a good listen, and it will stick with you. You don't have to 
put this on to bang with. I mean, and have fun with and like put in a car and sing along. It's not one of those songs, but it is, it is, it is great. And murder most foul is obviously it's most one-to-one just by the length, but you bringing up the liminal state is interesting because um, there's a writer now just after rough and rowdy ways came out that harkens uh, that basically posits that, that key West, the song right before Murder Most Foul on Rough and Rowdy Ways is the updated version of Highlands, you know, and going from the Highlands down to sea level, you know, it's like almost inching closer to the ground, you know, and Key West, too, is very strange and very like natural. We talked about it in our um, our in our episode right after it came out, which almost is a year as we record this. So happy one year anniversary to Rough and Rowdy Ways as well, which is, again, crazy because you wait eight years for it and now it's been nine years great i think depending on your life situation and where you've been and where you're at you can see this song in a lot of different ways and i think that that's that's really great and i think that's the mark of a great bob dylan song and for a park bench song i think that this is actually actually it completely you know daniel lanois talked a lot about we didn't have any plans for music bob dylan just had a stack of lyrics and bob dylan said too that with this album a lot of it is just rearranged snippets of verses like they are something that are together as a whole piece, but they aren't necessarily together per the song. So some of these could very much go on standing in the doorway, crying, trying to get to heaven, not dark yet. You know, you could have just swapped out lyrics throughout this record. And I think you would have the same type of vibe, which I think is really incredible. And I think makes the record so good, but I want to close that with, with Michael Gray talking about the record, but also how Highlands encapsulates the whole thing. And then we'll uh, move on with the podcast, Kelly. Michael Gray says, quote, Highlands epitomizes the best of Time Out of Mind. It deals with most of the album's prominent themes, endless, almost compulsive walking, desolation, lack of sense of contact with other people, a suffocating sense of the hollowness of everything, and therefore the purposelessness of life, a looking forward to death, alternating with the wish that time is not running out, the conviction that long ago some crucial wrong turning was taken in life, one that meant the loss of a true love. The conviction that there is little to say and even less point to saying it. The exhaustion of feeling mingled with a passionate sorrow for all its losses. It's not dark yet, but it's getting there. Yet Highlands managed to draw the eye upward to where the sky is still bright. Kelly, did you know that Sign on the Window that you've just participated in oh, wow. was actually part of a podcast experiment from the FCC? Did you know that this is a real podcast? Wow. And is that why we have the FCC involved? Is that how you legitimize your podcast? That's how we legitimize it. Yeah, we, we actually put we advertise on the FCC website. That's why people aren't that aware of it. I know. But, you know, we got enough people are listening, but not, you know, I was expecting 300 million, but. We're not we're not hitting those numbers yet. So if you're listening to this podcast and you know somebody that doesn't listen to this, you need to tell them about the FCC website and the declaration that they need to listen to this podcast. So tell your friends, leave us a review on iTunes, or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram and those places at SOTW pod everywhere. Kelly, 
patreon.com slash SOTWpod. That's cool. You can give us a dollar. And if you give us a dollar, you're going to get to sponsor an episode. And hey, you don't get to pick the, the episode. But we will dedicate the next one to you and only you unless there's more than one person. And then, you know. Well, once we get 350 million people subscribing, it's going to get kind of tough. So oh. we're going to have to have full episodes where we just what do we do read then? their names and stuff like Shut that. We also, if you don't want to do any of that stuff, but you do like music, you can listen to a playlist we make every week that goes along with okay. our song, either historical stuff. If you want to listen to Charlie Patton or something, you can see that playlist at see that my playlist is kept clean on Spotify, or you can search SOTWpod.com. Kelly, the playlist was excellent this week. I think so. I loved it. You, you sent me a text in the middle of the week and we were just like, this playlist yeah. is fire. And I was like, yes, that's the I mean, spirit. Selfishly, Let's go. it's because it felt like something that I would have put together. Like, I was like, what is all this atmospheric? Mm. What is going on? I love it. I love it. But yeah, it was excellent. Well, a lot of Highlands. I mean, a lot of stuff. I felt like I wanted to take a lyrical approach this time. So instead of finding Highlands, I wanted to find songs that entailed Which honeysuckle roses and amazing. Aberdeen waters. And Well, because then you got to put, put the waitress on. We, uh, come on. I mean, the waitress was the first come one on. on this list. Uh, that I saved for years and years. So the waitress is always going to be on this, no matter what. Uh, welcome back to the playlist for the third time, Buka White, Aberdeen, Mississippi Blues, uh, Fats Waller for the second time with Honeysuckle Rose, Elliot Smith, third time, High Times, Sufjan Stevens for the 13th time. God, this uh, is so pretty. Ugh. Concerning the UFO sighting in Highland, Illinois, that was also going to be on here without a doubt. Speaking <laughs> of another beautiful, amazing song, Tom York's Black Swan. Jesus Christ. Great song. I know. I was so stoked when that was on there because I loved that album. I bought it as soon as it came out and I just listened to it on repeat. 2006, man. Listening to it, I'm like, this could have come out yesterday. It's yeah, great. It's really uh, two times for him. Um, Mogwai for the second time. Scotland Shame. Excellent. Uh, Queen for the sixth time. Prince of the Universe. Why did you put Hell Prince yeah. of the Universe on there? Because it's the theme song for Highlander. Oh, that's what it is. Okay. <laughs> good, good. I knew there was a reason. Just didn't get there. And finally, welcome back to Neil Young for the third time for the Turnstiles. The only reason I chose this song over all the rest, I was going to choose something from, you know, 1997. And I was like, uh, it's not that good. So then I went back and I was like, what are the connections? They, they played together multiple times. Um, they played at a rally back in 1974, or 1975, maybe one of the two um, in San Francisco. So I was like, ah, oh, we could maybe play a song that they played there. But there's a... a a Rolling Stone article from 1974. Bob Dylan went to a Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young concert in Minneapolis. Rolling Stone was there, uh, Ben Fong Torres, and he wrote a story about this because that's what we do, apparently. We just write stories about Bob Dylan attending concerts. But this is from that article. Quote, in the middle of the acoustic set, Young introduces For the Turnstiles, which is on our playlist, by saying... Here's a song I wrote a long time ago. There's a couple of really good songwriters here tonight. I hope they don't listen too closely. Through most of the set, the next paragraph, through most of the set, Bob Dylan, in a cowboy shirt, jeans and shades, has been standing in the midst of a small group off the floor, uh, on the floor, off to the side, behind backstage barriers. He stands, unnoticed by the audience, next to a woman in a drug help jacket. Okay. As the acoustic set makes its transition back to electric, Dylan wanders off by himself. He is willing to have a few words. Over Young's rock star recall, don't be denied, Dylan shouts that he's in town to attend a funeral. Okay. 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 
because he dedicates it to some good songwriters in the crowd. That's the only reason why. And because I didn't like anything in 1997, Neil Young. <laughs> so I was like, what would he be listening to as he made this record? I was like, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want anything to do with it. Welcome to the playlist for the very first time. John Laurie reading Robert Burns's My Hearts in the Highlands, mm-hmm. which was excellent. Uh, Romantic States, Real Real Blonde, which was great. Uh, Suwanti, Highlands, Roan, Highlands. I know. Okay. So when that, that Roan song came on, I was like, this is, really good and i really like this a lot so i clicked on it like the the album meridian and i was like oh yeah i've listened to this a bunch <laughs> i just completely forgot who they are i mean that kind of happens unfortunately with ambient stuff because ambient ambient whatever ambient stuff <laughs> because you uh a lot of it unfortunately sounds kind of similar so you just lose track of the artists right but yeah uh room that room is great Excellent. And for the first time, unfortunately, Hop Along, Waitress, our very first Hop Along. Are you kidding I know, me? I know. I went back and I, I had, I double checked, Kelly. I double checked. That's we've, egregious. Oh my God. We've never done it. I, it. Why are they so good? Question one. And two, is why there a more so perfect good? song for a perfect song? Right? Like this is like the most perfect playlist lining up of all time. I feel like. It's yeah. So good. No, no doubt. Um, because this song is amazing and Hop Along is the best. And so funny, we just talked about Francis Quinlan. You know, two weeks ago or whatever, talking about, um, you know, her playing live and mm. uh, Mary Lattimore and, you know, just yelling, yeah. yelling at a concert at Jack O'Row, You know, you don't yell over harps. Um, Friend and lover <laughs> Boston is a lovely town. How great was that? That was <laughs> no. uh, incredible. So jarring. <laughs> also, like... the song ends and then it comes back, which yeah, is so the weird. worst. I mean, it's like it's... the worst excesses of the 70s right there. It's lovely. It really feels like a shitty tourism ad. <laughs> yeah. I mean. I love it, but yeah. In the best when, way, yeah. When I first listened to the playlist all the way through, I, I didn't pick up, because I hadn't really paid attention to the words of the song, I didn't right, pick up right. what you were doing, so I was just like, why the fuck is this on here? <laughs> I don't hate it, but I am confused. Yeah. Well, I looked I looked really hard for a good Boston song that wasn't fucking Boston or, you know, something, Dropkick Murphys or whatever. So right, sure, sure. Trying not to be so fucking obvious. Um, but Magic. M Magic, uh, Sketch of Memory, which was on there pretty early for me as well. And, uh, and, and of course, Papa Razi, Papa Razi, and the Photogs. I have a crush on Erica Young. Excellent stuff. And it explicitly mentions Bob Dylan. So, yeah. <laughs> which oh I was not God. expecting. I've never heard the song in my life. I looked up Erica Young and then it's like because I listened to Bob Dylan's song and I'm like, okay. So this, this cannot guy... not be there is a weirdo and also incredibly prolific. So this paparazzi and the photogs is like a, a little side project of this guy. I'm trying to find his name real quick. Matt Motern, manly man. So he, that's his main, his main band, his main like venue for actually writing introspective songs that aren't just like kind of comedy or weird concept stuff. Matt Motern, manly man. Uh, but his name is Matt Farley is the guy. Matt Farley is the guy. Anyway, so yeah, he's incredibly prolific. He has a billion different po- projects. He's a fucking weirdo. So well, he go. he. I mean, he's from a time in Spotify. This would be like 2014 to 15, uh, or 2012 to 15, where you could put your stuff on without any pushback, and people did that. They they would make records with 99 songs on it that were like these kitschy, mm-hmm. fun little random ass songs that just try to like fool the algorithm to get. Paid. I mean, basically, you can make a little bit of money from having a million things on there. Um, this song yeah, didn't he, strike uh, me like as like a weird cash grab, though, obviously. This was kind of a no, strange, cool. good song. It was not so bad. 
it's a weird like indie it, it felt like mountain goatsy to me for some reason yeah i think this um, is like bad mountain goats it's basically like i wrote a yeah. journal entry one day about this thought and i just turned it into a song which is like right that's yeah. what you, we make fun of mountain goats for doing but like mountain goats don't do that like they're I, John Darnell is actually incredible, but this strikes me as like I literally went to West Virginia, bought this thing, thought about Thailands, and I'm going to now write a song about him, which is fine. But but it doesn't like this is not a great song. Yeah, he he has on his on the Matt Farley's Manly Man whatever page there is a link to a playlist that he clearly made because it's published by Motern Media uh, uh where it contain it says Matt Farley's best albums and there are 494 songs. Ooh, yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to say 490 albums. I'm like, damn. All right. Oh, no. no. It's one every like, But I don't think this is a complete list. I don't think oh, this no, is a probably not. list for what it's worth. Yeah. No. I'm sure some of them are not really even songs. Anyway, Matt Farley. Anyways, playlist was fucking fire. Absolutely loved it. Um Really cut up that 16-minute long thing right at the beginning of it. You know, whatever that song was. Who knows what that is. Kelly, we were also people in the world this last three weeks. What have you been doing in that time that people might want to know about? Uh, Slater Kitty's album, Path of Wellness, came out on Friday. It's okay. Uh, I read a quick review on Stereo Gum by Tom uh, Brahan, I believe, who pretty much nailed most of my feelings uh it seems like he wrote it pretty fast after the album came out so i think this is something that might brook more listenings like you need a little more time with it but yeah it's it's fun it's funny that it starts off with the drums and you know a ton of percussion because this is like the most not janet weiss album even more so than center one hole because obviously janet's planning on center one hole but it's like it if ever you needed an illustration of why she's not in the band anymore, it's this. They're doing so many weird percussive things, and it feels really electronic. In the article, the reason why I even stumbled across this article is because I was trying to figure out who was doing the drums on it, because it sounded really artificial. Uh, I think Multiple. Multiple drummers. Yeah, it's just random people from Portland, which is pretty cool. But uh, I think on Path of Wellness specifically, I, I felt uh, very much like a track. Mm. Like the drums were not like natural. The, the snares notes didn't expand. But uh, yeah, it's it's also very much a Portland album. Um, at least three songs are specifically about last summer, uh, the different, you know, like the riots and the feds coming in and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. So Shadow Town, obviously not only about last summer, but also about Portland's like segregationist history because they're talking about redlining immediately about how being on the east side versus not being able to be on the west side and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and then down the line there's a line that says uh it's not the summer that we wanted it's the summer we deserve which is obviously about all that kind of stuff again and then even the very last track which i think is my least favorite for sure bring mercy uh which is specifically about the feds coming in and it's it feels a, a little like i don't want to say it feels a little preachy because it's not that so much but it's it's very much like this is a message song it, it kind of sounds like a spoken word set to music in a bad way but then it's like, that's not against their brand, but it feels so not good. Yeah. Because like on uh, All Hands on the Bad one, there's they're talking about being on tour and being like people being super sexist and putting like notes on their door. Like they've, they've always been a political band, but the way that they're delivering, it doesn't, they don't feel, it's, there's not punk rock anymore. And that's what the Stereo Gum uh, article was kind of saying. It's like, you made the hot rock, but as an indie outfit and not, you know a punk band it's like it's just like not the same thing well one article i read said that like you know they dined out was their phrase on the the iraq war in particular for one beat mm. and you know can't basically muster enough for even a song 
Um, yeah, I don't want to get into that that like feeling where like you know we did a whole fucking mix up con- confusion on a band we thought would never be a band again, and mm-hmm. and now it's weird that there's two more records out after Cities to Love, and and they're both very strange, and there's no Janet Weiss, yeah. and it's very weird. I don't hate it. I mean, I I enjoyed listening to it, and I liked Center Won't Hold, and I think seeing them live, you know, they were one of our last shows we got to see. I mean, they were. Three months before the lockdown, we saw them. So, I mean, I think I would love to see them play this live. But they're touring with Wilco. And one of the articles, one of the reviews I read oh, was really? like, yeah, they're going on tour with Wilco just in the summer, this summer. And it's like, oh, if you're comparing Slater Kinney to Wilco, like maybe that's the problem. That is a problem. And I'm yeah. like, I'm like, you know, I like Wilco, too. And I'm like, uh, it is a problem, though. It is a problem. But it's I, a lot of, you know. What are you going to do? It's a lot of things. They're just older. They're older. They're older. They're That's older. really what it is. It's like every band that sticks around long enough to age inevitably does this where they just, I know. you know, they're not as aggressive, which okay. It's okay. And they're, you're a little more navel gazy and it's like your life, your priorities are a little bit different. This, this album is like, when you think about Dig Me Out, is straight up a, 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 about love. It's a breakup album. Like there's no ambiguity about that and it's very focused. And this is like half about love songs and half about the life in 2020 and just like thank god they didn't like they didn't really lean into coronavirus stuff because i think that's not gonna age well (laughs) no no matter what so at least there's that although they kind of get into that with like when they're song high grass i think is what it is where they're talking about like we could roll around finally in the grass see that's not so bad because in the future you're gonna look back on that and say like oh yeah you know we can roll around in the grass i don't know but that's also a very portland thing too because there's so few days where it's not raining sure sure sure. well and also this is gonna look really good 20 years from now it's like the entire the entire discography of Slater Kinney in the end will look good. That's the that's the one reason you just make what you want to make. Just make it. But what we want is something that does not exist anymore. Like fully. Yeah. It's gone. Janet Weiss is gone. There's definitely lyrics in multiple different songs on this album that are pointedly addressing that, right? Like, I mean, nothing more explicit than no knives where they're like, we made a dinner for you with no knives and there's no drums in the song. And it's like, ha. They get and the cover, the cover with the two of them, it's like, yeah, I mean, just the two of them, yeah. I, I, that level, I don't like. What do you do at this point? You listen to it; it is what it is. But it's not, it's not what we think of as Slater Kinney. I guess is what really the thing is. I think the way that like I can kind of best sum it up is there's a track on here with cowbell and an acoustic guitar that would have never existed on a Janet Weiss Slater Kinney album. But Slater Kinney started with Corin Tucker and Carrie Brownstein. Sure. And Slater Kinney is still Corin Tucker and, and Carrie that's, Brownstein. And that's good. And, it's like, and that's fine. And they can use the name, and I, I, so, I'm with it. She was not there at the very, very, very beginning. But Slater Kinney is the first not albums, yeah. there. Like, if, if, I mean, Jan, oh, sorry, Janet Weiss, yeah, was not there for the very first. But, like, mm-hmm. she was there for Slater Kinney being Slater Kinney. So... Oh yeah, absolutely. The icon that became that is absolutely And every single so, every review whatever. mentions the drums. I mean, of course. Yeah. You can't not. Man. And even the same uh, Vincent before with Center World Hold. She was there, but was she really there? Like that's also the thing too. You know? Yeah. They're also on a New York record label now, Mom and Pop, which I think is kind of bullshit too. Especially to make a, a Portland record. Like this is such a Portland yeah. record and to not use one of the labels around here feels a little weird I to me know, personally. So but there you go. Whatever. I mean, they were on Matador too for years too. So like, I'm not going to hold that too much against them. But if you're going to go to like an indie darling label, pick one in fucking Portland. Like Sub Pop still exists, and like obviously there's a lot more that still goes on. Or Kill Rock Stars, which they were on forever. It's like, I don't know. Whatever. 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 Uh, I think that the author of that article I read, Tom Brahan, was just like, 
it's a fine album. I think it's like we don't need to be know, so hyperbolic. I mean, rate I your music; it's fucking tanking, and really? there's a lot of people just in the yeah, oh yeah. They're just you know, people are like, I'm I'm gonna over star this record because I need. I feel like I just morally have to like. It's not good, but it's not bad. Yeah. So I was gonna give it three. I'm gonna give it four or three and a half because I know the person down here is gonna give it point five. One star, one and a half star, and that just isn't really fair. And most of the anger is just with they're not the same band, yeah. which, come on, guys, like, let's all just worry with you, which is a single I think is is one of my favorite tracks and, and uh-huh. uh, favorite neighbors, probably my favorite song on there. So, okay. um, anyway, yeah, Slater Kinney, <laughs> that's your Slater Kinney update. <laughs> That's your Slater Kinney update. We'll be back two years from now with the next one. Thank yeah, you. No and Janet Weiss, if we ever hear what she's doing, we'll, we will do it. We'll talk about that here. Uh, theoretically, she's still doing, uh, God, what's her band called? Qua, quasi, quasi. Quasi. Yeah. yeah she probably is still yeah. working on that, but I don't know. Well, she got into that accident, so hopefully oh, she's yeah, right, doing all right. And yeah. Let somebody go, get on the Janet Weiss beat. What, how does she feel about this record? That's yeah, what I want to know. Honestly, I'm sure that'll come out. Oh, yeah. I mean, this. if you're smart, you don't say anything. <laughs> because the 20th anniversary of her being fired is going to come up sooner than we think and they're going to do a reunion baby kelly will be there in the crowd with our wheelchairs loving it (laughs) in our hearing aids um (laughs) i also watched the conjuring the devil made me do it which is the latest latest in the conjuring series of which i I don't super care about but stacia loves the warrens like the mythology the warrens i personally think they're crazy jesus freaks and probably did more harm than good but (laughs) There you have it. I mean, it's it's actually about uh, a real event. Um, what's his name? In 1981, Arnie Johnson, uh, he was 19 at the time, killed a guy named Alan Bono. And he, he their defense, their actual defense in court was that he was possessed by the devil. So, Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And he ended up, he did end up getting like a lesser sentence or whatever. But yeah. So th- is That's the movie fucking, good? No. Fucking stupid. Whatever. The movie's fucking stupid. Wow. Yeah. So I would say skip it. But. If you love The Conjuring or if you love possession movies, maybe it's good. But even Stacia, who loves possession movies and likes the Warrens, was like, this is not, it's not great. What uh, kind of, what does that mean? I love possession movies. Like, just like the devil taking over somebody. Like, how many yeah, yeah. movies are there? Oh, so many. Uh, so many. <laughs> I guess I don't like them, so I don't look I mean, out. starting in 1970, what's the one? The one with the little girl Reagan? The one. The one's the one that's spinning the, the police suit. The Exorcist. Yeah, fucking The Exorcist. God. Yeah. So starting back then and all the way to now, there's... A million bajillion. I guess I don't think of that as a as that type as a type of movie. I, but okay, I yeah. get it. I get your point. Okay. Yeah. Is that a recommendation? No, it's not. But it is something that I did. Um, I, we also watched Mulan, um, the the new like oh, live action one, the real one. Yeah, yeah. So after we talked about Jack O'Rell, you're like, we got to watch Mulan. Yeah, it was just kind of. It, it's not you know, it's free now. It wasn't free forever. And I think that the problem with that movie is branding more than anything else. It is such a departure from the animated movie that you guys fucked yourself by calling it the same thing. I get it. It's about the same character, but you really should have changed because there's uh, there's no music, which I knew going into it. But the story, with the exception of like the main beats, is almost completely different. Um, so it's, yeah, if you're going into it thinking it's the live action version of the animated movie of which it is <laughs> touting itself to be, you're going to be disappointed because it's really not. It's a different movie. It's absolutely on par with any shitty action movie that's ever come out. So I would say if that's your jam, you'll like it, especially if you're like, if you have kids. I mean, there is violence, but like, yeah, it's totally on the same vein of any other dumb Marvel super movie or whatever. It's a great action movie. It's just that's what it is, you know. So like if you want like a yeah. great cinematic experience or even a reimagining of the animated film, you're going to be disappointed. So. And also I'm going through a renaissance of uh my teenhood thanks to HBO Max because they bought a um they bought a lot of Viacom properties. They have Comedy Central stuff, they have uh, Adult Swim stuff. Sure. 
and you know all the heydays yeah. of that fucking Squidbillies, uh, uh, Boondocks, fucking Reno Nine One One. I've been oh, watching yeah. Chappelle's really? show. I watched all of Chappelle's standups uh, that are on Netflix. I hadn't watched those. Other things that are going on in my life. Oh yeah, uh, Stacia and I are getting married. Oh my God, what? I know. Live reaction. Wow. No. Uh, Weren't you already married? Sh- no. Oh, okay. I thought um, gay people were just married when they get into a relationship. Yeah. Okay. Well, you see, the thing is, Canceled. once upon a time, we couldn't we couldn't legally get married, so you could just say you were married to anybody because oh. you were just like, but I feel married, but I feel married. You're talking uh, about the time in like 2015? That's so long ago. Yeah. I don't remember. I know. Hard to remember. But yeah, yeah. you could just, yeah, I've been, and I mean, that is a really a way to undercut the actual like human rights struggle yeah, sure, sure. Gay people you... forever but but without uh you know taking the piss on it yeah I... okay well that's fun what does that mean what does it mean to get married what what i mean for you guys what what are you gonna do what are you doing yeah so um uh, marriage is a legally binding contract that you sign uh, that basically says that we get to file our taxes together forever and ever but most importantly it means that uh station can be on my health insurance so uh, <laughs> so yeah so we're gonna we got our our certificate back in the mail so we have to have uh somebody officiate like actually sign the paper that's so you can either have a judge sign the paper yeah um, which is like normally what you would do pre-covid times you would just go down to the courthouse but now you have to do everything by mail so because of that you can actually have an officiant like right the people that get ordained that's an officiant that's oh, a oh, okay. yeah. binding station so it, it's a joke that you can get it done online but it's also actually very legally binding that's so we're going to have um her old boss Susan said she would get ordained oh, so that cool. she could do it which is great cuz she's already a lawyer so like she could she knows all the stuff um so she's going to hopefully sign our paper on j- July 5th cuz that's our anniversary anyway oh um, cool and then so when she so when she signs it um then we send it back to the yeah. court they certify it and then you're year so then the um, it's it's pro dated or whatever dated for the fifth then it wouldn't be whatever date so they w- we're at, well right, right right exactly it's the date that that you all it's basically getting something notarized right it's, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. absolutely just, just a glorified version of of notarizing right, right. so she's going to notarize it on the fifth but when we send it out it'll just be the fifth because that's the date it was notarized. right, right. So okay gotcha fun um, regardless of when it what are you gonna there. do so, what's the what's the plans what's the party what's the sitch Oh, nothing. We're thinking we might have a party in like September. So like when you cool. can be out here, my mom will be here by then or whatever. We're thinking September, October. We have absolutely no plans. We like this is very informal. We we're like are maybe gonna go to a skating rink, maybe. Um, I <laughs> like skating, like ice skating or no regular skating. No, like roller skating. Oh, roller. Fuck yeah, dude! I haven't roller skated in a long time. I would love that. Either yeah, one would be yeah. awesome. So fuck yeah. so the only one that we know of is the one at Oaks Park. That's where they do the uh, roller derby stuff. So that would be. Where we go, but yeah, no, it's just like super informal. But it would be whenever anybody, you know, everybody could be here. So, send your salutations to SOTW Pod everywhere. <laughs> well, congrats, that's fun. Why did you did you just ask oh, because thanks. of the fucking healthcare? I love that. Please say yes. Oh yeah, okay. I mean, basically, well, what I what I told her when I proposed, I was like, I know this is convenient timing, but let's just let's just do this. <laughs> well, that's cute. Well, cool. I, that sounds. Yeah. I mean, I kind of figured you guys would do that. So, I mean, yeah. you guys were already makes... married, so you own a home. Yeah, together. I mean, we've... it's pretty. Uh, that's a bigger deal than getting whatever the state has I to say so, yeah. about shit. Yeah. So. Totally. Sweet. 
Anyway, what have you been up to? <laughs> oh my God, Kelly. Well, I, you know, you're getting married and I want to say that uh, there's a little town in South Dakota named Colton. Yeah, probably a thousand people okay. live there. Very, very tiny. Uh, there was a kid. There was a kid. I was driving through the neighborhood and he was probably seven years old. He was on a bicycle. I was driving past him and he threw up the devil horns. And I was shocked and I waved at him. And then I stopped the car and I was like, I cannot believe that I was flashed the devil horns and I did not throw up the horns myself. <laughs> I I just wait. No, I was so shocked. Hello, I was like, youth. I was like, oh my God. Yes. You're not alone. Like I know in this small town, you're the, and the only sign for you're not alone would have been this. It was that <laughs> the only sign I could have thrown was the devil horns. And he would have been like, F- I'm not alone. And I left him. I left him hanging. And I was like, I have become so detached from the world now sitting in the basement that I, what is, what am I even doing with my life? If I can't throw up devil horns in the middle of South Dakota. So that was something I've thought about every day of my life. And I will think about till the day (laughs) I die. As you fucking should. A huge regret. It's a huge regret. I mean, imagine it, Kelly. Imagine somebody flashing you the sign and you just don't even think to do it. And you drive by and instant regret, you know, and you can't just chase down a kid. You can't chase down a kid and be like, nope. No, no, no. Flash the signs. You can't do that. Hey, little kid, look into my eyes while I do this. They'd be like, oh my God, what the hell? Yep. He'll never forget it, though. Uh, Grandma and I have also, while we've been eating dinner, been rewatching Happy Endings, and Grandma fucking loves oh, it. And Happy Endings is nice. fucking fire, of course. Still the best show that's ever been canceled after three seasons. Sorry, Rest of Development. It's still true because they never came back. Perfect show. Still a perfect yeah. show. Grandma loves it. There's enough like slapstick hijinks that it really. Still connects. Relatable. Relatable. Nice. Hashtag relatable. Uh, my dad wrote a porno is back. Have you been listening to porno? Yeah. Oh, shit. Bonkers. Is there a new episode? I only listened to the first one. Oh, there's two. Yeah, there's two more. Um, there's a footnotes. Uh, it doesn't spoil anything, but some dude made up a website called Belinda Blumenthal.business and it nice. charts it charts the books. He actually like bought the books. Uh, subscribes. Oh. Apparently, Rocky Flintstone has a newsletter where he'll give out random chapters and stuff. So he is using all of this information to chart exactly how many days have passed in the, oh, he's like every a day. He's doing everything timeline, continuity okay. errors, everything. He's just diving into. He has a racism alert whenever he talks about the Irish being worms nice. and stuff. He's like, "Come on!" Or talking about just like a reality check where Belinda and them would get arrested for having sex in the. Sure in the Ritz, you know, um, it's incredible. And, he, and so on the podcast, they're talking to him. He's like only about 120 days have passed. We're still in 2015. That sounds like, right. Absolutely amazing. And I, you should definitely check out the website, Belinda Blumenthal dot business, which I think is also perfect. So, oh, uh, yeah. because it's about business and leadership and the sexy world of, of pots and pants and pot sexy of world of pots and pants. Uh, the new rise against record is not so bad. Um, they're a punk band. Uh, they've been, you know, the last couple of records have not been so good. And this one's actually pretty good. Why is it pretty good? Because it pretty much goes back to their playbook. I thought of this while listening to Slater Kinney this week. Cause I was like, Oh, Slater Kinney can't go back to the playbook. Number one, yeah. but won't also go back to the playbook. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but it does mean that like the album's not going to be good in the eyes of like, what is Slater Kinney? Bah. And then rise against was something different. The last two records have been kind of shit. People haven't liked them. This one very much on brand. And I was listening to it and I was like, this is good. You know, music is music. People are doing what they want to do. Did you know that Spotify did, um, this like new test thing? They did like a new a thing came up on my app that was like, 
new for you. This is the way that you listen more different than everyone else. Kind of like their year end yes. wrap up, but but different. Yes. I, I didn't Correct. check it out. Why not? Okay, because Who's I did check care? it out. <sighs> Kelly, you have a podcast <laughs> that has content to fill. Jesus. So it told me. So here's mine. So maybe you should do it, Kelly, and then next week come Can I still me. do it? Is there like a Yeah, you probably still can. Yeah, it's somewhere. Ooh, it's whatever. somewhere. I'll do it. Yeah, I'll check Yes. That. Mine here, it does a few things. So it says, who else but you would listen to the Everly who Brothers? Else but and you? That's what it is, maybe. And who would listen to the Everly Brothers after Kendrick Lamar? Me. Only me, I guess. It says, it's so you to travel to 1961, 1956, and 2021. And gives me Bob Dylan, Elvis Presley, and Fresh. Of all people. Uh, These genres, for me, nothing says me like going from technology to New Jersey punk to jazz trumpet. Sure. What's technology? I don't know what that is. I don't know. Any music created with a computer? I don't know. I mean, that's a lot of them. My sun sign, my top artist is Bob Dylan. My moon sign, my most emotive artist is Rap Ferreira. And my rising sign... My most recent discovery is Paloma Mommy. So, okay. cool. Um, it asked me who I want to take to a dinner party. It said, invite my first guest. Between Elvis, Fresh, and Casey Musgraves, the band of Fresh, the whole band. Nice. I chose Casey Musgraves. Uh, who's going to sit next to Casey Musgraves? Either the White Stripes, the entire band of Red City Radio, or Waxahachie. I chose Waxahachie. <laughs> who's going to get the last seat? Either the whole band of Cake, Johnny Cash, who's dead, or Sufjan Stevens. So I chose uh, Casey Musgraves, uh, Waxahachie, Kat- Katie Crushfield, and Sufjan Stevens, of course. So nice. that's my my dinner party. Your dinner party? Uh, Excellent. Which is, and again, I leave this thinking, what was the point of that? <laughs> it's not that oh, it's not good. fun, but literally the Everly Brothers thing, this thing came out right after we listened to fucking... The Everly Brothers. We listened to uh, take a message to Mary, oh. to, to Marie, to Mary, right, 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 to right. Mary. Take a message to Mary. It's Mary. And so it's I'm Mary, like, Daniel. So I'm like, this is incredibly specific to like you. You picked this up one month after we did this episode. Like, right. Oh, come on, man. Like, like if you could just do this at all times and it will tell you this at any given moment over the last month or something. That's fun. Like, that's cool. But like, come on, don't pretend like. This is real. I didn't click on it. But that's fine. I'm glad you did. Anyways, hopefully you'll do it later. Kelly, this has been a very long episode of yeah, Sound on the Window. It's not our fault. The song was 16 minutes long, man. Come on. Song was, the song was 16 minutes long. Kelly, we are going to continue to do this podcast, though. As it turns out, at the end of this episode, I think we can still keep going. Okay. We have 362 songs left. But unlike what we've been doing, and contrary to what I said this time last year, we are... Primed for Music Video Month, Kelly. So Yay! you don't actually need to choose anything. I just pulled up a random word generator for ah, nothing. See, see, and I knew it. I was ready for this. So uh, nice. July is Music Video Month. We are going to go back to the music videos, and we are going to yeah. go to what I was going to continue on with last year, which is going to be unbelievable. We've had okay. th- this will be our third song from Under the Red Sky. That is number thirteen. God knows. Oh, we did Born in Time, episode forty-two. And TV talking song from last year, episode 100 and something. Um, we're going to talk some Maggie Ringwald next week. We're going to talk Sally Kirkland. We're going to talk the video, all that junk, all that jazz. You need to uh, come at me with your Maggie Ring- Ringwald take. What What's your life with Maggie Ringwald? I need to I'll know have that. To and we'll, one. 
Good, good. You know, let's talk 16 Candles next week. Okay, Kelly, this was fun. We'll see you for Unbelievable, the last music video month, he says again. Yeah, we'll see about that, sir. Goodbye. Bye!